0: Merry Christmas, family. Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, Whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah the father of Manasseh Manasseh the father of Ammon Ammon the father of Josiah and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon After the exile to Babylon Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel Zerubbabel the father of Abiad Abiad the father of Eliakim Eliakim, the father of Azar, Azar the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akam, Akam the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matthan, Matthan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is God's word. May he bless its reading. You may be seated.
1: What's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we also want to recognize the interpreter over here with all those names. <laughs> I thought I smelled a little smoke. <laughs> you know, it is, it is a wonderful thing to be able to read that genealogy. And part of the blessing is in knowing that, that God became flesh. That that's not just history, but that God became flesh. The incarnation is true because God became rooted in people rooted in human beings. Uh, before we pray though, uh, we have a, a couple of missionaries stateside that we want to recognize, Jim and Donna Smith. Can we get you guys stand and be recognized? Jim and Donna? <laughs> we're grateful for your work and we're glad that you can be with us here this morning. We're going to pray for you and we're going to pray for our own hearts and minds as we study this, this text this morning. Father, we're grateful for the time that you give us on this earth, knowing that there is not a single day that is promised to us. But you bless us with each day, with your presence and with your providence, and especially with your gospel. For in that gospel, through faith, we find a righteousness that is not ours, given to us through Christ Jesus and his life. We are grateful for that love. And we're grateful for people that, that share that gospel around our own nation. And so we ask that you bless the Smiths in their work and that you guide them, Father, to open places, open hearts, to open doors in which they can open up the words of your Bible and, and share them in such a way, Father, that lives are changed and people find a joy and a happiness and a peace that passes understanding that is beyond anything that without the gospel we could experience. And thank you, Father, for the text that Bill read for us. We are grateful for all of these names that remind us that the Messiah comes not only to us from heaven, from your right hand, but that he also is rooted in people. And we're grateful, Father, for all of those names. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it seems uh, this time every year, uh, people sort of enter into a fight. And that fight is uh, to not spend too much money. Or to not eat, uh, eat too much food and gain too much weight during, uh, during the holiday season. But there's, there's another fight that takes place. And a lot of times it's in the hearts of disciples of Jesus like you and like me who struggle to, to find ourselves focused on one of the greatest mysteries. In fact, I think the greatest mystery you find in the Bible, the Incarnation. It was last Wednesday night, uh, I had uh, the opportunity to, uh, to take uh, Marin Blankenship home. And on the way home, we're talking about our favorite Bible stories and uh, our, our favorite Bible characters. And uh, we were talking about the Old Testament. What is your favorite story in the New Testament? And Marin from the car seat in the back says, uh, the birth of Jesus. And I say, you want to learn a new word? She says, yes. I say, it's called the incarnation. Can you say that? She says the incarnation. And we talked about the greatness of of what it means for God to become flesh. And sometimes with all of the things that happen around us during this time of year, the story gets lost. And so one of the things that we do as a church family that I think is healthy and that is uh, significant and helps us to be blessed at a time when the world continues in a a, a degree of darkness is to be reminded of the story of Jesus' birth. And so, this morning, I want to tell you the true story of Christmas. It began a long time ago in a part of the world that was very different from the place where we live. It's the story of the birth of a baby who was going to grow up and become the answer to every question. He became the answer to every question, although people then, as they do today, struggle to understand it and to embrace it to be changed by it. For in reality, this is not just a birth. It was an invasion. On the surface, the great Roman Empire had settled into the land of Israel, brought its own peculiar brand of peace. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace, was really nothing more than a surrender to the strength of the Roman Empire but it was never really truly peace. And always under the surface of that peace, rebellion ruminated in the hearts and the minds of people. Added to this was the Roman appointed king of the Jews, Herod the Great, cruel, despotic, maniacal, paranoid without equal, murderous. It was said in Rome that it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. He was all of these things. That had been written about him and more. But all this was in fact a metaphor for the true reality of the world. The earth itself was in darkness. Humans were in darkness. Peace was a wishful euphemism for the world devoid of hope and saturated with cruelty, all of that, though, was about to change. In the Gospel of John, the first chapter, John, who had seen all of this with his own eyes, and he says later in his life in a, in a letter to, a, to the church in general, says, is what we saw and what we touched. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Paul would say later on that when the time was fully come, God sent His Son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we, who struggle with that darkness, might receive adoption to sonship. C.S. Lewis, in, in an article that he wrote called The Grand Miracle, he says, The whole thing narrows and narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, small as the point of a spear. A Jewish girl at her prayers. That is what the whole of human nature has narrowed down to before the incarnation takes place. Very unlike what we expected, but of course, not in the least unlike what seems in general as shown by nature to be God's way of working. End of quote. And so Luke tells us that in the days of Herod the Great, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah, who was named to, who was married to a woman named Elizabeth they were he says advanced in years and they were childless the hope of a child long gone and if there were prayers about this child they had become sporadic they were less frequent than when he was in his younger years and Zechariah was selected by lot to enter into the holy place to burn incense at the time of prayer. There is a a, a rich irony in this moment. The altar of incense uh, was a cubic wide and a cubic long, uh, which meant that it was about uh, 20 inches or so, sort of as a square. And it sat two cubits high, which made it a a little under um, 40 inches. And it was made of acacia wood. It was covered by gold. And there was a horn at each corner of the top of it, and there was a recipe that God had given for a special incense, and only that special incense was to be burned on that incense, that that altar of incense. And the incense that was burned was symbolic of the prayers of the people rising to God in heaven. It stood before the veil going into the Holy of Holies, and as Zechariah goes into the holy place to burn that incense at the time of prayer, he sees an angel standing on the right side of the altar of incense next to the symbolic uh, smoke of the prayers going up to heaven. And like all mortals in contact with angels, Zachariah is petrified with fear. And the angel says to him, Zachariah, do not be afraid, do not fear. He goes on to say, You and Elizabeth are going to have a child, you will name him John. He will be great before the Lord. And like Elijah, the great prophet, he will turn the hearts of the people to God. And the reason he will be doing that is that he will herald in the long-awaited and long-anticipated Messiah. But Zachariah's prayers over the years about a son have rusted. And they've begun to grind nearly to a halt. And this long-awaited answer to prayer comes at the hour of prayer And he doubts. How do I know this to be true? He asks. Seems like a funny question to ask an angel. The angel is Gabriel. And he reminds Zechariah that he stands in the presence of God. Which means that he hears every word that God utters. And he says you will be silent until the baby is born Because you did not believe. There was another time when the people had, the people of Israel had wandered down into a a valley of of doubt and unfaithfulness. And Habakkuk, that that great priest or, or prophet of the Old Testament, at the end of the second chapter, reminds the people that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Six months later, Gabriel goes to Nazareth. There is a virgin by the name of Mary who is engaged to Joseph who lives in that village. Gabriel appears and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. The Bible says that she's greatly troubled. Because whenever an angel shows up, it usually means that there's a hard journey, a hard task, a hard mission ahead. And the angel says, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever. His kingdom will never end. And this young girl, this, this young girl accepts that by God's spirit she will conceive the Messiah. That her, re, that her relative, Elizabeth, who has struggled with barrenness into her advanced years, will have a child in, in those senior years, And she accepts that no word of God will ever fail. And she says humbly, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, Mary gets her suitcase together, she hurries off to the hill country outside of Jerusalem, to the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as soon as she goes into that house, and Elizabeth hears the voice of Mary, the baby, the baby that is going to be John the Baptist, leaps in her womb, and she exclaims in a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And Mary, overcome as she is with the visit to the angel and all the things that are happening, her heart, like everyone else's, begins to well up in joy and in praise and in rejoicing. And she says, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. Three months later, Elizabeth gives birth to John, and everyone is celebrating the miracle moment. What everyone had been really hoping for, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they would be able to have children, the miracle moment arrives, and the baby is born on the eighth day, the day of circumcision. They want to name the baby. Well, Zechariah can't speak. Elizabeth, although she is the mother, is ignored. They just, the relatives sort of ignore Elizabeth. They want to call the baby Zachariah after his father. Elizabeth says, no, 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 no way. He is to be called John. But all of her cousins, the way the cousins can be sometimes, and all of those in-laws, they think that's a ridiculous name for the baby because there's no one in the family named John. So they go to the father, to Zechariah, even though he's not going to be able to tell them. They say, what should we name this this baby? Zechariah asks for a piece of slate and some chalk or something to write with. And he says, he writes, his name is to be John. And for the first time in nine months, whole months, he is able to speak. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And when the silence breaks, it breaks forth with praise. He says, praise. These are the first words of a man who has been silent for nine months. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he turns to the baby, eight days old. And as a father, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him. To give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of all their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Six months later, the time has come for Jesus to be born into the world. It's also the time of a census. And the entire Roman world is going to be counted and numbered as decreed by Caesar Caesar Augustus. Each head of the household had to go to the town of his birth for this census to be counted. And Joseph, Mary's betrothed husband, is in a bit of a conundrum. He has not been with Mary as a husband, and yet she is pregnant. It's a small village. It's a conundrum. He's not been with Mary as a husband, and yet she is pregnant, but he loves her. But what is a righteous man to do in a situation like that? Then in a dream, an angel appears to him and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She will give birth to the Messiah that was prophesied long ago by Isaiah. He's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. You're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so he takes Mary, the unborn Jesus. They travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, his hometown. The little village is crowded. They're not usually that filled up but because everyone who ever was born there has to return to it there's no room anywhere except in a stable there's no place for them but in a stable and so our messiah comes into the world on the night that he is born the weakest of the weak the humblest of the humble without pomp but not without glory in the in the fields nearby Bethlehem at that time was about eight miles or so south of Jerusalem, surrounded by countryside, lots of sheep nearby. And in those fields were shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night. And all of a sudden, there in the great darkness that is night in the ancient world without streetlights, an angel appears to them. These guys hit the dirt. And the angel says, do not be afraid. For I I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths. And lying in a manger. And then a multitude of angels show up. And if you thought one angel to a bunch of shepherds was scary enough, wait until there's a platoon. And they, like everyone else, praise God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. They can't believe what's happening to them. Once they're back in the darkness as the angels have traveled on, they say, Get your things together. Let's go to Bethlehem. And they do. And they find it just as the angel had told them the baby in swaddling cloths in a manger. And they couldn't believe it was true. But it was. But it was. And I can't imagine what it would be like to see an angel and be told to go to Bethlehem and to see the Savior. But when they were able to finally tear themselves away from that, that scene, from the sight of the Messiah being born, they went back to the fields a little differently and were told that as they went, they rejoiced and glorified God. Well, about this time, word of Jesus' birth comes to the ears of Herod. Wise men from the east have come to Jerusalem inquiring about the birth of a king. This gets Herod's attention because he will not tolerate any rivals, even when his health is not great and his days are numbered. And the rival king is a baby. He discovers through the chief priest that the baby is part of a long prophecy and that Micah foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He tells the wise men to find the baby so that he might worship him too. It's a ruse. He wants to use the magi. He only, he, he only wants to be true to himself and destroy all rivals to his power. The wise men have been following a star and that star leads them to Bethlehem where they find the child. They present the gifts, myrrh and frankincense and gold. And they worshipped him. They bowed down before this baby. They're thinking about it's time to get back to to the home place. But they are warned to return home by a different route. And when Herod discovers that he has been outwitted and tricked by these wise men, he flies into a rage that is beyond our imagination. And he orders the stormtroopers to Bethlehem, to kill all of the children, the baby boys age 2 and under. The the story of his birth, the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, ends with a reminder that Christ was coming into a world that was dark and that it was violent. And that that evil and that violence and that cruelty sometimes was without reason and unexpected and insane. But it is his birth and his life and his death, his burial and resurrection. All of that beginning with this birth in Bethlehem that invades the darkness of that first century world that was hopeless beyond imagination. But it invades it and and imbues it with hope. And even in the midst of darkness and confusion, when people came into contact with what was happening, when Jesus became a human, when God became flesh, the most natural event was to worship, to praise His name in joy, to be thankful that God's Word never fails, that all of His promises come true in Christ, and that the world we live in can be different Because He makes us different. The the song we're going to sing in a moment is Joy to the World. The words, I I think, are, are incredibly good theology. First verse, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And then the third verse no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest, that's the curse. The thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. For as the curse is found, for as far as the curse is found. Story always reminds me of the greatness of what it is that God is doing with human beings who have forsaken Him and rejected Him and denied Him and even pretended that He does not exist. And yet, His promise and His love does not fail. And, and for those of us who have been the recipients for a lot of years of that joy, this is an opportunity now for us to sing out not worrying about how we might sound to the person next to us. I never worry about that anyway, as you know. But to sing out in joy, because that's what this story is about. It's joy in the middle of strife. It's peace in the middle of war. It's light in the middle of darkness that has come and is growing and growing and growing. But maybe there are some that, that, that need to, to find that peace, and to find that joy, by finding In the Christ, this child that was born, the forgiveness of their sins. We're going to sing this song, Joy to the World. And if at some point this song begins to resonate in your heart where you realize that that all of the things that I've been thinking and studying and, and being taught and I've been praying about are true, that there is the possibility of a difference in my life being made by this baby by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, as he became a man and taught. And that in his resurrection, he became not only king of creation, king of the universe, but he can become king of my life. And by confessing him to be that king, by being that Lord, and changing the direction of your life, to walk in the direction of God, having your sins washed away in baptism, and committing your life and aligning your life to the will of God, that can happen this morning for you. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front. And if there's some ways that we can minister to you this morning, in the name of Jesus, we want you to come forward as we stand and we praise God together.